0: Have you ever been away and required a tour guide? Someone whose job it is, someone who you expect to be in control, informed of whatever situation they lead you into. You expect them to be knowledgeable folk, and knowledgeable even to the extent where they take you places that are safe, places that are sensible, that the things that are happening around them are within their control imagine if you went on holiday and you entrusted yourself into the hands of a tour guide who was just as in control as you were a new world new place new environment you didn't know your left from your right you up from your down couldn't speak the language that would be horrible wouldn't it to be in that place of utter lack of control to not have somebody who you could trust in who was in control That situation. We entrust ourselves to loads of different people, loads of different things each and every day of our lives. And it's this sense that we have of others, things, or people being in control that can bring peace, that can bring calm into our lives. And when one of those little things seems like it has lost control, then in comes crashing in despair and anxiety. And fear and stress. The thing that we find when we come to our Bibles is this, that there is only one who is truly in control. There is only one control, who ha- uh, one who has everything in his hands. Nothing gets out of hand for that one. Everything else is oh, teetering on the edge at best. We're going to look this morning at Isaiah 46, quite a strange passage in many respects because it's speaking about two characters, Bel and Nebel, who we've got no idea about. But they are ba- Babylonian gods, idols, deities. Folks would entrust themselves into their care in order to have safe and secure lives. But Isaiah 46 is gonna show us that they are useless and God alone is always in control. This is what we read about Bel and Nebo. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity, Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a gourd and they bow down and they worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up on its place and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save from their troubles. Imagine putting your future, your life, your hopes, your dreams, your your family, your loved ones into the hands of someone or something, so it turns out who is just as weak and vulnerable as you are. We have been thinking the last couple of weeks, haven't we, about how the truth revealed to us in Scripture about God is good news for us. But first, Isaiah 46 wants to contemplate these other gods. These false gods. And what we learn about them is totally not good news for anyone. Because they've been assessed and they've been found utterly wanting. They've got exotic names and apart from that, they've got nothing going on for them. Here's the list of things that is revealed about them in Isaiah 46. That they're weak. They're worthless. They are mute. They are motionless, they are powerless, they are pathetic, they are burdensome, they are ineffectual and they are costly. That would be a heck of a summer series, wouldn't it? The God who is always burdensome, the God who is always ineffectual. These false gods, these idols, these things that people have entrusted themselves to uh, in total error, turn out to be utter garbage. Now, why would we care about these gods? Why would we care about Baal and Nebo? We don't have them in our homes. We don't have them in our lives. But actually, they represent an awful lot of things that we do cling to, an awful lot of things that we do trust in in order to feel safe, thinking that they can provide rescue down the line. Surely, we've all got relationships, titles, positions, authorities reputations, homes, bank accounts, loads and loads of things that really we're entrusting ourselves to, things that we look to in order to find safety and contentment and fulfilment. And for us, they don't have the exotic names of Belle and Nebo, but in exactly the same way, they come up just as short. And what Isaiah 46 does is this. In seeing their utter incompetence, gives us an opportunity to glimpse something of the God of the Bible. The God who we're really interested in. Because he is everything that they are not. This is also what it says in Isaiah 46. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all you remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth, have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who sustains you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Do you spot it? When we recognise the shortcomings of Bel and Nebo, in those very things, God is spoken of as being able to fulfil. With every scathing review of their ineptitude, we confidently can conclude God is not. God is not carried. He's the one who carries us. All these things that the people end up having to do for the idols that they've crafted for themselves, God says, I do for you. Doesn't need people to take him from place to place, picking him up and carrying him around. Instead, we are in his hands. He carries us from before our birth until our final days. He is not weak. He is not worthless, he is not mute, he is not motionless, he is not powerless, he is not pathetic, he is not burdensome, he is not ineffectual, he is not costly. The big picture is that these so-called gods do not save. In fact, they make things worse when they let us down. But God is the one who really can deliver. Isaiah 46 continues, remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none, none like me. Don't try and compare. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times to what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land, a man to fulfil my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, I will do. Or if I could paraphrase it, I am God. There is none like me. I am God. What I say goes. Declaring the end from the beginning. It's me, God, not anyone else. Not with anyone else's assistance. I decide the whole of human history. From as far back as can be known until the end of days. What has happened and what will happen, that is me, says the Almighty. Think about that claim. I say, says God, no one else, just God alone, just One vaunt. His will, his mind, his counsel alone will stand. I will accomplish all my purposes. That's what God says. He will do as he pleases, his purposes, his will from the beginning until the end. Do you see that this is revealing to us a God who is in complete control? A God who is always in control. And with a big, booming voice, he declares, what I say goes. But what does that mean for us? Well, it means that there's no committee. There's no turning of his head. God does not operate by consensus or majority vote or focus testing and feedback. It's God's will and God's will alone that will be done. God being in control, declaring what I say goes, means that he keeps his own counsel and he can't be coerced into action by outside agencies. It means that he is the one who is free to make up his own mind, to come to his own decisions. To make his own will and not to have, as we are, someone else's will imposed on us. Again, remember Bell and Nebo, the representatives of the sorts of people we put our trust in. They went where they are told. They went where they were taken. Their life and their existence wasn't up to them. They, in fact, were servants of the craftsmen and the people who owned them. Not so with God. Nothing is thrust, nothing is forced on him. He just gets to say, I decide. But more than this, this shows us the incontrolleness of God and his power to carry out that will. What I say goes. God has the power and the force to carry out that which he decides. Having decided in the first place, God doesn't need then to go elsewhere to get something done. There are a lot of people with a lot of power in our society, people that we expect to make certain decisions and to implement them, but all of these people in power have one thing in common, is that when they decide something, they need others' help in order to act. They need others' help in order to put it into practice. Leaders are supposed to lead, but they're powerless unless they actually have people following and doing what they've decided. Not so with God. If he said it, it will happen. He will make sure that it happens. Wouldn't you love that to be true of you? Wouldn't you love that to be true of who it is that you're putting your trust in? But it's not, is it? Even in the smallest things, any decree that I make or that you make, it I'm totally dependent on other people chipping in, doing their part to make it a reality. That's what makes this such a wonderful news about God. His always in controlledness is that he's not going to change his mind when somebody else brings him new information. He's not going to struggle to get it done. What he decides goes. And when we turn our thinking not just from God in general, but to Jesus specifically, well, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Think about Jesus' life in terms of purpose and will and power to accomplish. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter one, planning about God planning rescue from before the foundations of the world. God chose us in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy. blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure or as the late Eugene Patterson put it like this long before he laid down the earth's foundations he had us in mind he had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole to be made holy long Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, and he has. No matter how far we have fallen, no matter how far we have rebelled, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit couldn't have this purpose budged from their minds. They were all about the rescue. And then, of course, Jesus came. Jesus came, the eternal Son, born into the lowliest circumstances, in filth and squalor and poverty and persecution. They tried to hunt him, to crush him, to snuff him out before the right time had come, but they couldn't. They couldn't even stand in the way of a tiny little baby. Why? Because what God says goes. In Jesus' life we read about Satan trying to change Jesus' mind. To tempt him, to persuade him in a different direction. To take a shortcut, to take an easy way out, to change the focus of his will. But Jesus wouldn't, would he? Because he'd already decided to rescue, to rescue us. And what he says goes. Later on in his life, Jesus' own family tried to stop him. They joined in with a crowd that said that he was mad. They wanted him to come home, to stop rocking the boat, but he wouldn't. What I say goes. Peter, who was one of Jesus's nearest and dearest friends, tried harder than anyone really, with his words and his actions. He told Jesus that he couldn't, no, he told Jesus that he shouldn't die on a cross. When they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus didn't put up a fight. Peter drew his sword to stop them. Jesus refused this. He put an end to Peter's resistance. What I say goes, said Jesus. Jesus reaffirmed that which had been settled before the foundations of everything, apparently. In Mark 10, He said, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I have decided, and I will make it so. Jesus spells it out again in John chapter 10. No man may take my life, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I will take it up again. Do you hear it in his words? What I say goes... No authority, including Pilate, who disputed Jesus' own authority. No authority was going to get rid or derail Jesus. It all makes sense now, though, doesn't it? How the passage in Isaiah finishes up. Let me read it to you. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It isn't far away. My salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendour to Israel. What I say goes. No one has tricked God into action. No one has forced him into saving those who have rejected him and rebelled. He has chosen And though we still fight against it with every breath, with every fibre, he won't be turned away. It's his will and he is always in control. What he says goes, or when we look at Jesus, what he said went. Because of course Jesus did die and now Jesus is risen. He is alive again. In fact he's more alive now than he has ever been and he's alive forevermore gone to get things ready for his second coming for the consummation for the renewal of all things so on so what why is this good news for all of us we don't want it just to be a nice idea we want it to be rubber that hits the road in our lives you know as i was thinking about bell and as i was thinking about nebo i was struck that None of us cling to them by accident because they have their own little PR teams, their own little unique selling points. We believe the hype in life. We believe the sales pitch. But part of seeing something so wonderful about God is that we need to learn to let go of the false versions that we have in our lives, the things that we love to depend on. We need to delete those things and see how useless they really are now that's not to say that there can't be good things in our lives helpful things gifts even from our gracious God but they're not any good at being God does that make sense perhaps it's something good in your life perhaps it's something beautiful in your life but if you're using it as a God then disaster will follow we need to learn to let go of Bell, to let go of Nebel. And So ask yourself this question if you're trying to wonder uh, what is it that you need to cling on to far less tightly. What is the absolute worst thing that could happen to you today? What is the absolute worst thing that could happen to you this week? The answer that you give might be a little clue into what it is that you're holding on to cannot really rescue you, isn't really in control, something that you cherish and depend on in the place of God that can so easily be taken away. Ask yourself what is the absolute worst thing that could happen to me today, this week and start loosening your grip on that thing. But it's more than just letting go of one thing, isn't it? It's life change, it's coming to follow Jesus it's taking hold of him especially in difficult times if he's in control if what he says goes then even when he is leading us into storms we need to learn to follow and to trust actually God always being in control is scary it's confusing when the storm clouds gather around us and they break over our heads but it isn't true about God in isolation Remember, all these things that we're learning about God are true together with the the truth that he is loving, that he has promised to protect, that he has promised to bless and to rescue. Do you see that even in the midst of suffering and distress, that we should be able to turn to this one who, who is always in control, always in control for our good. So this is good news because it means we can let go of the things that will let us down. We can hold on tightly to the one who will keep us safe. But here's the last thing. The God who invites us to join in. Now all the while it might not have seemed like this was going to be a statement that I would make. God is in control. He can do what he wants. He has the power to accomplish it. And yet, God doesn't need anyone else but he invites everyone else to join in. Why does God invite us to join in what he has said he's already doing? It's important to see that it's not out of need. God doesn't need you or I to fulfil his purposes, and yet perhaps out of love, he asks us to be a part of what he's doing. There are jobs that are father can do and he does not need his children to join in. In fact, if I put my imagination to work, there are jobs which I can do that actually would be hindered by inviting my children. If my children join in, they would interfere. They would slow things down. They would make mistakes. I'd have to stop and tell them and undo and redo. And yet, more often than not, When I've got a job to do that isn't too dangerous, I will invite the kids to be a part of it. You see, when God invites us to be a part of what he is doing, it doesn't undermine his sovereignty. It doesn't undermine the fact that he is always in control. In fact, it makes it all the clearer for us. He commands everything. The birds of prey, the man to come and fulfil his purpose. God is clear in the commands that he gives. Even when another is involved, it's at his discretion. It's at his instruction. Do you know, for you and me, those who follow after Jesus, we've been called to be a part of what God is doing. And that isn't a burden. That's a privilege. God allows us to be involved in the certain things that he will accomplish. You think about it, we have been called to be his witnesses. God will make himself known in the heavens and the earth, but he has called us to be a part of that. He's called us to always have an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus. To live out our lives of faith and hope and love each day on earth as if we were in heaven. So here's a test that we can all do today, this week or or whenever it is. Ask ourselves that question. How would my life change? What is the worst thing that could happen to me today? But ask yourself this additional question too. How would my life change if the things that God had called me to were taken away? If being a witness, if having a hope, if living out my life of faith and love, was deleted how much would your life change there again is another gateway a window a glimpse into whether or not it is we are clinging to Jesus and we are following him into everything that he has decreed what is it that you're clinging on to let it go where is it that you can go to be a part of what Jesus is calling you into go there grab it with both hands Hang on for dear life because God is always in control and He invites us to be a part of His purposes being fulfilled. That's good news for all of us. In Jesus' name, Amen.